see. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to John chapter 10, we're going to be looking at John 10, 1 through 21. That's on page 896 of the ESV Pew Bibles, John 10. This is part of our ongoing series through the Gospel of John, called Just That Simple, because remember the overall theme and message of the Gospel of John is that people would believe in Jesus Christ, and by believing, have life in his name. John 10, 1 through 21. Let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Father, as we approach your word this morning, we ask as always that you would give us the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. We never tire of coming to your word. It never gets old. And we expectantly wait upon you. We want you to show us the true meaning of this passage. We want you to show us how to apply it to our lives as we live out our lives in faith before you. So Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It used to be easy to tell the good guys from the bad guys. If you went to the movies, especially westerns, the one wearing the black hat was the bad guy. He was the robber. He was the one that broke the law. He was the one that robbed the bank by blowing up the safe with a stick of dynamite. He wore the black hat. The good guy wore a white hat and a badge. It was easy to tell the difference. In first century Jerusalem, people didn't wear white hats or black hats identifying whether or not they were the good guys or the bad guys. But the Pharisees had thought they found another way to tell the difference. The Pharisees just assumed they were the good guys. After all, they were the Pharisees. They were Jewish. They had Abraham's blood running through their veins. Of course, they wore the white hats. And Jesus, because he broke their Sabbath laws, he was the bad guy. He wore the black hat. In John chapter 10, Jesus turns their thinking around. Jesus shows up and says, no, 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 you have it all wrong. He says to the Jewish leaders, to the Pharisees, no, you're the bad guys. You're the robbers. You're the one wearing the black hat. And then he says of himself, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good guy. I'm the one wearing the white hat. This passage teaches us about the exclusivity of salvation through faith alone and Christ alone. He is the door through which all people must enter. And even though this passage is directed to the Jewish leaders in its original context, it is still a message to us today on how to identify the good guys and the bad guys, or more specifically, the good shepherds and the bad shepherds. We don't need to look for the color of their hat. If we want to tell the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd, Jesus says all you have to do is listen to what comes out of the shepherd's mouth. 
So let's read this passage, John 10, 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought all us, all, out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So before we even get into our verse-by-verse walkthrough, we need to set the stage for this passage. Uh, Number one, we're going to see two truly, truly statements in this passage. This happens 24 times in the Gospel of John. This is a Gospel of John hallmark. It's a distinctive. You see this truly, truly formula in the Gospel of John and not in the synoptics. This is where Jesus is giving special focus to whatever comes after those words, truly, truly. Everything Jesus says is true, but Jesus does not give special focus to everything he says. The second thing we need to pay attention to is When he says, I say to you, right at the beginning, truly, truly, I say to you, who's the who? The who is not his disciples. The who is the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees. These are his enemies. There is no break in between chapter 9 and chapter 10. We'll remember that those chapter markers, the verses, uh, numbered verses, those aren't part of the original autographs. That wasn't there. Uh, When John wrote the Gospel of John, he didn't include verse numbers and and chapter numbers. They were added later, and that helps the church to easily find verses and reference verses. 
So in 10.1, Jesus is still talking to his enemies, and the verses that follow are directed at his enemies. So all the time uh, through this passage, whenever you see those pronouns, you, they, them, uh, every time Jesus uses pronouns in this chapter, he's talking to them. He's talking to his enemies. So in its original context, this was not designed to give uh, encouragement and, and words of comfort to his disciples. This was a message directed at his enemies. This whole chapter is about rebuking the spiritually blind and spiritually deaf Jewish leaders. This means that Jesus is telling his enemies something. He is delivering a message to the Jewish leaders. And here it is. Here's the message. Jesus is telling the Jewish leaders, you are the bad guys. You are the bad shepherds. You are wearing the black hat, not me. And then thirdly, in verses 1 through 10, Jesus is using an illustration. He calls it, uh, John calls it a figure of speech in verse 6. So an illustration makes, uses, uh, makes, makes use of themes. So in this case, it's the theme of shepherd and sheep pen and sheepfold and gatekeeper and robbers and wolves and all these different things that we see. However, he's not telling a narrative story with a strict linear path. In other words, this is an illustration. And like all illustrations and figures of speech and uh, parables and things like that in the Bible, we don't need to press it too far. We don't need to try to identify and attach meaning to every single piece in, in the illustration. We need to stick with the big themes. For example, if we try to identify Jesus with the door and we stick with that, if we tag Jesus as he's the door and then we try to keep that throughout the whole passage, it's just not going to work. Because if Jesus is the door and only the door, well, then we need to find someone else for the shepherd. And then we need to find someone else for the gatekeeper and for the wolves and for the robbers. And, and all of a sudden we're trying to pin everything down. That's not what's going on. The problem is this. Jesus comes right and tells us in verse 7, I am the door. And then later in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, which tells us he's both. He's the door and he is the good shepherd. He is both. So if we keep that in mind and we understand that Jesus is kind of moving back and forth between identifying himself as the shepherd and the door, then it's going to make sense and be able to interpret what he's saying correctly. If we say he's only the door and that he's not the shepherd, then, then we've missed what he's saying. So here's a helpful guide. Verses 1 through 6, Jesus is the shepherd. Verses 7 through 10, Jesus is the door. And then verses 11 through 16, Jesus is the shepherd again. So let's begin. Let's dig right in. Verse 1, truly, truly, that's a solemn statement that Jesus gives focus to. I say to you, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, and we're reminded that this whole passage is about giving them a message. He who does not enter the sheepfold... And in this context, he's talking about those who do not enter into the covenant people of God with the intent of teaching and leading as a shepherd. Whoever does that, whoever comes into the sheepfold with that intent, by the door, God's authorized entrance point for the shepherd, 
All true shepherds are going to enter by the door, meaning they're going to be sent by God, they're going to be called by God, they're going to be authorized by God, they're supposed to be there, and they're serving God with a whole heart dedicated to one purpose, to glorify God. That's, that's the door that all shepherds must enter through. But climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So a sheepfold was very common in the first century, uh, especially in and around Jerusalem. They had all kinds of sheepfolds and sheep pens. Some were for personal use, and they had them butted up against their dwelling places. But other times they would get together as, as different households and have one big area, one big sheepfold. And they were made out of uh, stone, uh, low-walled stone structures, sometimes out of wood or a combination of both. And these sheepfolds had a gate or a door. And if you own the sheep, you entered by the door. If you didn't own the sheep, then you climbed in by another way. And it's the same thing today. If we, if we were to go somewhere like one of these um, self-storage areas, with the roll-up orange doors that we see all over the place. If you go by one of those, and if you see someone climbing over the chain-link fence, they're probably not supposed to be there. They're a thief and a robber. It's the same thing here. If someone was climbing over the sheepfold wall, they weren't supposed to be there. They were up to no good. And Jesus is saying this, anyone who attempts to be a shepherd, meaning a priest, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, a scribe, any kind of influence over the people of God, if anyone attempts to be a shepherd who does not approach that position with genuine faith, seeking God's glory, that person has climbed over the wall. They're, they're scaling the chain link fence. They don't belong there. They're a robber. That person is the one wearing the black hat. They're the bad guy. They're, they're a bad shepherd. Now, Israel has seen its share of black hat wearing bad shepherds in their past. Uh, if we were to go to Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah is ministering, remember, to Judah, the southern kingdom, immediately before uh, their fall to Babylon in exile. And part of the reason that both the northern kingdom went into exile was because of its bad shepherds, black hat wearing bad, uh, bad shepherds. Here's Jeremiah 23, 1 through 2. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. For your evil deeds, declares the Lord. That language is terrifying. If you were an unfaithful shepherd at this time prior to the exile, and you knew that you had not been faithful, and you heard these words, the Lord saying, I will attend to you, knowing there's no escape, you can't run from the Lord, this would be absolutely terrifying. Uh, Ezekiel also prophesying before 586 BC addresses the black hat wearing shepherds. Ezekiel 34, 2 and 10. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. 
Once again, the word I keep coming back to is terrifying. The last thing anyone would ever want is to have the Lord God angry with them or declaring, I am against you. So this has been a recurring problem. This was before exile. This is Old Covenant history. And here again now Jesus is talking to the black hat shepherds in in his day. Instead of faithful shepherds, they were thieves and robbers. He comes out and calls them robbers. Those are the bad guys. They're robbing, they're robbing the bank with a stick of dynamite. They were corrupt. They were prideful. They were selfish. They had no fear of God. They had no concern for the well-being of the sheep or the people that were, that were under their care. They were so spiritually blind that they could not see the Son of God as he proclaimed the words of God and as he performed the miracles of God right in front of their face. These were bad shepherds. Then in verse 2, But, in contrast, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In contrast to these false shepherds, the one who enters by the door, the one who is sent by God, the true authorized shepherd of God, who serves God faithfully according to his commandments, the true shepherd that leads the flock of the sheep in a way that glorifies God. The true shepherd is Jesus. Remember verses 1 through 6. There there are some who try to make him into the door, but again, it's extremely problematic. We have to to kind of twist it in a direction, or bend it at least, in a direction that it doesn't want to go. The true shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's contrasting himself with the black hats. He's the one in the white hat. He's wearing the badge. Verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. To him, meaning the true shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. This is one of those places where we really don't need to identify the gatekeeper. Jesus isn't talking about the gatekeeper. He's not trying to make a point about the gatekeeper. He's still trying to describe the true shepherd. So what he's saying is the true shepherd is given access. The true shepherd is authorized to be in God's sheepfold. He's the one who's supposed to be there. He came in through the gate. He didn't climb the chain link fence. He's the one that should be there. The sheep hear and recognize his voice. Uh, The people of God who have been given spiritual hearing and spiritual sight recognize the word of God. That's one of the, the desires. That's one of the new desires that the Holy Spirit gives believers. It is a desire for God's word. It's a desire to hear and know God's word, and they recognize it. This is Jesus saying his sheep recognize spiritual truth. They recognize his voice, his word. And he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus came to the old covenant people of God, and he called out those who were his, the elect, from that group of people. And in the original context, he's talking about leading out his sheep, his elect, from the old covenant people of God. Not all physical descendants of Abraham were among the elect. Not every Jewish person was going to be saved by God and was considered part of his covenant people in a saving sense. I think we've established that um, through going through the first part of John. So what's happening here is that the few that are called, the few that Jesus does reach and does call out, are being called out of that generation of Jewish people. 
When he has brought all his own out, he goes before them. Those who are called by Christ are led by Christ. Jesus is the ultimate good leader. He never asks his people to do anything that he doesn't already do first. He goes before them. Jesus goes first. A life of sacrifice and obedience, Jesus went first. Persecution, Jesus went first. Death and resurrection, Jesus went first. None of us have to go any place where our good shepherd hasn't already gone. And his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In the ancient world, shepherds that were in charge of, of many sheep had an individual call, an, an individual sound or noise they made for each individual sheep. And the sheep recognized their call. That's how intimate of a relationship they had. Uh, the, the sheep would hear something, and that was the shepherd calling, and, and they, would, they could tell whether it was sheep number 37 or sheep number 62. They, they knew, they recognized, and they would come. However, if a stranger showed up, if someone who wasn't the shepherd, and they spoke and tried to call the sheep, not only would the sheep not come when they were called, they would flee. It would spook the sheep. They would try to get away from the shepherd. Jesus is saying followers of Christ will hear and know his voice. They will know the voice of Christ. They will be able to distinguish and to discern the difference between the voice of Christ and anything else. They knew that Jesus spoke the truth. Once one of these followers of Jesus, once a genuinely saved person started following Jesus, they could tell the difference. And they were going to listen to Jesus' voice no matter what the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders told them, no matter what they taught them, no matter what they told them to believe, they were going to follow Christ because they knew his voice. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand he was saying to them. Of course not. They were spiritually blind and deaf. Of course they didn't recognize what Jesus was, was trying to tell them. So he tells them again. Look at verse 7. Jesus now is the door. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is another truly, truly statement. Uh, and it starts by saying, so Jesus again said to them. He, they didn't understand that Jesus was coming and telling them, no, you've got it wrong. You're the black hats. I'm the white hat. So he says, I'm going to tell you again. So he approaches it from a little bit of a, a different angle. I am the door of the sheep. Every sheep who enters God's sheepfold must enter through the door, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single person, in order to enter the kingdom of God, must enter through faith in Christ. Everyone who desires to be saved must enter the door. Everyone who wants to be forgiven must enter the door. Everyone who desires salvation must enter the door. Without Jesus, no one enters the kingdom of God. Without Jesus, no one can be called one of God's people. And without Jesus, no one is saved. No exceptions. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, black hats. But the sheep did not listen to them. 
those who came before Jesus. This certainly can't be a reference to everyone who came before Jesus. That's not the context. The context is shepherds, teacher leaders with influence over the people of God. And it's certainly not a reference to all shepherds and teacher leaders, such as uh, Moses or the prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel that we just looked at a moment ago, or faithful priests, or John the Baptist. It can't mean all of them. So this is a reference to unfaithful shepherds, black hats. This is a reference to everyone who's come before him who has not been faithful. And wouldn't you know it, the exact type of person that Jesus is talking about is the same people that he's speaking to in this passage. You guys. You're the thieves. You're the robbers. You're the black hats. The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. And they belonged to a long line of, of black hat wearing bad shepherds. And he's saying, no, it's, it's you. I told you in verses 1 through 6, but you didn't understand. I'm telling you again, you're the bad guys. And just so you know, he's telling them, my sheep don't listen to you. You, you can warn them. You can threaten to cast them out of the synagogue. We just looked at that in John 9, a man born blind. But they're not going to listen to you. They're going to listen to me. Verse 9, again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. And will go in and out and find pasture. To, to go in and out and move freely means to, to, to move about like family members can, can go in and out of their own house freely. It, it's to move around freely. To not be enslaved. To be a part of the household. Find pasture is a reference to provision. Christ alone provides for our spiritual needs. Verse 10, the thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So once again, he's contrasting himself with the, with the bad shepherds. The bad shepherds with their way of life, with climbing in over the chain link fence and, and just being there for their own selfish reasons, uh, for their false teaching, for their abuse of office, they were pointing people away from Christ. They were telling people, don't listen to this man. Don't listen to the Son of God. Jesus, on the other hand, came so that his sheep would have life. So the, the black cats were, were not really caring about the people at all. Evil rulers do not care about the people they rule over. They just care about ruling over people. It's the same today as it was back then. And the Pharisees are a prime example of that. Jesus says, no, that's the black hat group. I'm here so that my sheep would have life and would have it abundantly. Let's, let's zoom in on that for just a minute. Abundant life. What does that mean to have abundant life? Jesus' sheep will not only have physical life, like we all do, believers and unbelievers have physical life. They not only will have eternal life, but for believers, life becomes more abundant because of our awareness, our knowledge, and our subsequent enjoyment of our salvation, of the truth. 
of our forgiveness, of our future, of our status as sons and daughters of God. In Christ, our life opens up spiritually, and that is the abundant life. Do you remember as a child um, picking up an old paper towel roll and and looking through it? There's something about one of those just empty cardboard tubes that invites children to look look through them. That's the first thing they do when they pick it up is they want to look through it. If you picked up a couple of those and, and looked through it, you can see your eyes are wide open. There's nothing wrong with your eyes. But your field of view is very restricted. The only thing you can see is what is directly in front of you. Everything else that's going on around you and above you and and over here, you can't see. If you try to walk around like that or or do life like that or or drive like that, you're going to get in some serious trouble. You're going to injure yourself. When someone comes to Christ, it's like removing those tubes. All of a sudden, everything we could see before, our physical life and and experiencing physical life, we still have that. But everything else around us spiritually is opened up. All of a sudden, for the first time, we are aware of our our sin and our salvation, of of God's grace on our life. We're we're aware of where we came from, where we're headed. We're aware of the origin of, of this planet, where people came from, where we're headed. We're aware of what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's a lie in this world. It just opens up. Everything becomes much sharper and in focus. So there's physical life, and then there is abundant spiritual life in Christ. Believers have both. We have physical life, and we have abundant spiritual life. We have that opened up view. Unbelievers only have the first. Unbelievers have physical life. And they can live it to the fullest. They can live physical life to the fullest and have all kinds of experiences, but they're still walking around with the tubes. They don't have abundant life in Christ. That's what the abundant life is. It's not an abundance of good, uh, goods, money, health, and, and happiness. I knew a believer one time, and in conversations with him, that's what he thought Jesus was promising. That he thought Jesus was promising, when he said abundant life, a life filled with, with good times, with happiness, just kind of a lot of laughter and, and just kind of a, a positive overall track. And the problem was when he wasn't experiencing that, well, then he was looking around for someone or something to blame because that's what Christ had promised him. Now, to be sure, there is joy and happiness in Christ. But when we look at the lives of Jesus or the apostles, or faithful believers throughout church history, not everyone is experiencing good times 24-7. There's persecution. There's suffering. There's, there's the refining fire. There's discipline. There's all kinds of things. So when Jesus promises the abundant life, he's not promising uh, the party life. Uh, or, or that his followers are going to be just leapfrogging from, from one good time to the next. Jesus isn't promising a life filled with pool parties and limo rides and lighting cigars with $100 bills. He's promising something better than that. He's promising abundant spiritual life. He's promising a full life. He's promising a meaningful life 
He's promising a purposeful life in Christ. And that is much, much better than any kind of pumped up Hollywood celebrity lifestyle that we can imagine. So that's abundant life. Let's go to verses 11 and 13. Jesus is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then he begins another illustration with this sheep imagery language about how the Jewish leaders, the the bad guys, are like hired hands. They're only interested in themselves. They're not around to serve God and serve his people. They run away. When the wolf shows up, their attitude is, well, if the sheep die, that's not my problem. I'm out of here. So they take off. Jesus, on the other hand, is willing to die for his sheep. So the false shepherd runs away. Jesus stays and fights. The false shepherd abandons the sheep. Jesus protects and defends the sheep. Big difference between the good shepherds and the bad shepherds. Jesus repeats for emphasis, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So there is a deep spiritual knowing relationship, knowing spiritual relationship between Jesus and his sheep or Jesus and his followers. And he compares it with the relationship between the Father and the Son. There is a deep knowing relationship spiritually between the Father and the Son. Not the same. We're not part of the Godhead. But he says like. They can be compared with each other. And if you're here this morning, then you know what it's like to have a deep knowing relationship with Jesus Christ. He knows you. And you know him. I lay down my life for the sheep. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about dying on the cross to make atonement for the sins of his people. Verse 16, all, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about the Gentiles. The Gentiles. From time to time, this verse gets pulled out of context and used to justify all kinds of false teaching and, and cult teaching. He's talking about the Gentiles. Jesus did not just come to save those that have Abraham's blood running through their veins. He came to save the world, all people. Isaiah 49.6 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So God has and continues to send out his gospel message to every continent, to every people group, and everyone who turns in faith to Christ is saved. It's not just one particular people group. It's everybody. Everyone who places their faith in Christ will be saved. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There are not two different people groups of God. There's only one. There's one church. There are not two tracks. There's only one. There's not two flocks. There's only one. God does not have one set of plans for his church and and another set of plans for Israel. And That's not it. Jesus says one flock, one shepherd. That's it. Verses 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me. For what reason? Well, the verse immediately in front of it and what he says immediately after that because I lay down my life and I take it up again the father 
loves his obedient son and the son lovingly obeys his father. There's that inseparable connection between the father and the son. The father loves his obedient son and the son loves to obey the father. No one takes it from me. If Jesus didn't willingly die, then no one could have killed him. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is a statement of divinity. No one can can lay their life down and take it up again. We can't, on our own power, uh, die and then come back to life at will. This is a divine statement. Jesus is fully man, fully God. This charge I have received from my Father, there's that inseparable connection again. The Son only does what the Father has given him to do. And then this passage ends with more division among the Jewish leaders. Uh, Some thought Jesus was out of his mind. Uh, We don't need to listen to this guy anymore. He's just completely insane. Just ignore him. Others were saying, I don't know. Some of the things Jesus was saying were starting to make sense, but the big factor was the man blind that Jesus had healed. They were just saying, I don't know. To to restore someone's sight who's been blind from birth, that just, that sounds like a white hat guy. I'm not so sure about Jesus. Good guys and bad guys. A summary paragraph of this passage would look like this. Jesus addressed the Pharisees and Jewish leaders and through the use of sheep, sheepfold, and sheep uh, shepherd imagery described the difference between good shepherds and bad shepherds. Jesus identified his enemies as bad shepherds while he himself is the good shepherd who teaches and leads the people of God and is the ultimate authorized sent one from God and who willingly lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is also the door through which all people, both Jew and Gentile, must enter to be saved. We've got two application points that we'd like to draw from this passage this morning. The first one is this. Jesus is the door and the ultimate good shepherd. Jesus is the door and the ultimate good shepherd, which means the action point is follow Christ. Believe in and follow Jesus Christ. Jesus still calls people today. He calls them not out of Old Covenant Israel into the New Covenant, but out of the world and into the church, regardless of who their ancestors were. That's what he still continues to do, is call people into his sheepfold. And he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. This is one of the reasons we direct new believers and people that are are seeking and spiritually seeking to read the Gospel of John. Because the message of faith in Christ and believing in Christ is so clear. If anyone, and we're encouraged to place ourselves in that anyone, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So one of the questions... I have to ask this morning is, have you personally entered the door through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Because there's forgiveness of sins in only one place, Jesus Christ. And this salvation that Jesus speaks of is is not automatic. It doesn't just happen to us, or we're not just born into it. We must follow Christ. We must believe in Jesus. 
Now, one of the greatest errors of the contemporary church is that she has sometimes told people, all you have to do is believe in Jesus, and then they never follow that up with what that means. Now, if you've been with us for this journey through the Gospel of John, then you've heard us extensively talk about what it means to believe in Jesus. Um, it, it is a 180-degree shift. Uh, believing in Jesus is, uh, goes from loving sin and, and hating God to hating sin and loving God. It, it's, it's a shift from living for yourself to living for Christ. It's a shift from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. It means Jesus gets your unqualified allegiance. It means that you obey Christ at any cost. It means lifelong discipleship. So we've, we've talked about what that all means. It's not simply mumbling the words, I believe in Jesus. Because when the church says, believe in Jesus, and then fails to follow up with any explanation of what that means, or what Jesus says that looks like, then sometimes people can get the impression, oh, it's just, okay, um, I believe in Jesus. And then you can ask them later, are you a Christian? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he exists. And I think he's a good guy. But that's not what Scripture teaches believing in Jesus means. If someone believes in Jesus, but their life remains unchanged from when they were an unbeliever, they don't believe in Jesus. That's not how it works. Following Christ is not like putting up a welcome mat with Jesus' name on it and, and putting it on your front porch in front of the door. If, if the house is your life, it, we, we don't just say, okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'll, I'll mention that. It's more like demolishing the house, completely raising it to the ground, rebuilding it from the ground up, foundation, framing, roof, everything, interior finished out, everything, and every single square inch of concrete and wood and nail and screw and drywall and brick and shingle, insulation has Christ's name on it. It's a complete renunciation of your own life and a following of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's a big difference. That, it's not just a welcome mat. It's a, it's a radical 180 degree shift. When God brings someone to Christ, he gives them new desires. Desires for his word, desires to know his word, desire to, to love the other believers, desire for his church. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Do you see the difference here? This is not just saying, I believe in Jesus. How many people have gone through that process of saying, okay, I want you to just say this prayer after me. I have, uh, dear God, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe I'm a sinner. I, 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 please forgive me my sin. Please forgive me my sin. I want to follow you and I accept you into my heart. I want to follow you. How many people have been led through a prayer and have just spoken words back that, that they're parroting back to, to someone leading them through that and then they think, okay, I'm a believer in Jesus. That is not how Scripture describes it. So if there's anyone here this morning that is placing their faith and trust in, in a confession they made or a prayer they uttered, but they don't see these marks of a transformed life, I want you to turn to Christ in faith. Agree with God that you're a sinner. You need a Savior. Agree and understand that Jesus took your place on the cross. He took the penalty for your sin. 
and that when you trust in him, all the benefits of Christ are applied to you. His, his death is, is, is paid, paying for your sin before God. His righteousness, his perfect life is imputed to you. You get all the spiritual benefits in Christ as you follow him. It says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So that's number one. Jesus is the good shepherd and the, and the only door we must all enter. Number two, there are good shepherds and bad shepherds and God has told us how to tell the difference. There are good shepherds and bad shepherds and he has told us how to tell the difference. The Jewish leaders thought, well, I'm a Pharisee. I am a son of Abraham and I work here at the temple. And I'm, a, I'm either a priest or a Sadducee or a scribe. I'm, I'm one of these guys. I'm up here, so of course uh, I'm a good guy, right? I'm wearing a white hat. Jesus says, wrong. You're one of the bad guys. Even though you can check off all those boxes, you're still a bad guy. You're not a good shepherd. You're a bad shepherd. Likewise today, there are church leaders that often think, well, I'm ordained. I, I went to seminary. So I'm automatically one of the good guys, right? I mean, I, I pastor a church, so I'm wearing a white hat, right? Jesus says, wrong. Even though you check all those boxes, that is not what makes someone a white hat good shepherd. In this passage, Jesus teaches us how to discern between the, the two. And he shows us it's not about what color hat you might be wearing. It is about what comes out of a shepherd's Mouth. That's how we are to determine whether someone is a good shepherd or a bad shepherd. The first thing to know is that there are bad shepherds today. There are bad shepherds in Old Covenant Israel. We read those passages. There are bad shepherds in the first century, Jerusalem. We read the passage today. There are bad shepherds in 2023 in America. Please understand, they exist. I hope no one thinks that every pastor or every ordained man or every uh, person that is, is wearing the, the robes of ordination or, or standing behind a pulpit is wearing a white hat. They're not. Please understand that. There are black hats. I've met them. I've shook their hand. I've heard them teach from a pulpit. So the first thing we need to understand is that there are bad shepherds Today, throughout the history of the church, there has always been some that climb the chain link fence and get into the church and point people away from Christ. So they exist. The second thing to know is this. God's word tells us how to discern between good shepherds and bad shepherds. Now, I'm not going to get into the qualifications of elders, although the New Testament provides that. And I'm not going to get into um, the ruling functions of an elder, although the New Testament talks about that as well. I'm talking about the teaching and preaching ministry of a shepherd. What comes out of their mouth? Every time we, we are evaluating someone like that, a shepherd, we need to determine if they're wearing a black hat or white hat by what comes out of their mouth. What the shepherd says. What the shepherd teaches. What the shepherd preaches. Is it the voice of Christ? Or something else? Look at, look at the word of God here uh, in verse 3. The shepherd hear his voice. Verse 4, they know his voice. Verse 5, they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 8, but the sheep did not listen 
to them. And then verse 16, they will listen to my voice. Good shepherds preach Christ. Good shepherds preach the whole Bible. Good shepherds preach sin and salvation. Good shepherds preach heaven and hell. Good shepherds preach the Old Testament and the New Testament. They preach the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the good shepherd preaches the Bible and and the word of God, the voice of Christ goes forth. Now, the Whoever standing in the pulpit is not Christ, but Christ is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking to his church. Under shepherds are not infallible. They are sinful men, but God has chosen weak vessels to accomplish his purposes. That's a recurring pattern in Scripture. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, Q&A, uh, number 155, addresses how God uses preaching as an ordinary means of saving people and and building building up his church. The Westminster Confession, remember this is not infallible, this is not inerrant, it's not the word of God, but it is a helpful summary of biblical truth. The, The confessions in general that we have, the faithful confessions that the church possesses, have been called the greatest depository of truth outside the Bible. So insofar as they direct us to to the truth found in Scripture, they are extremely helpful. So here it is, number 155. How is the word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith under salvation. Preaching the Bible from a pulpit on Sunday morning is not the church's idea. It's not any one person's idea. It is God's idea. It is God's commandment. God has chosen to put this in place for the benefit of his church, to call people to himself and to build his church up. This is God's idea. And this is what God has chosen to use for those purposes. So let's never think that this is just something we do because it's history or tradition or a good idea or that we're free to, to, to bend it or twist it or, or do something different with it. This is God's idea. And white hat good shepherds will continually point to Christ by preaching the word of Christ so that Christ's sheep can hear Christ's voice. Now the black hats. The black hat bad shepherd today will not do any of that. You may hear them talk about Jesus. You may hear them mention scripture if it suits them. They'll pull in a verse here and there to complement their message. But the proclamation that is coming out of that pulpit or wherever they are is not the voice of Christ. Black hat shepherds will twist scripture if they mention it. Black hat shepherds will skip over the difficult parts of the Bible. They could make fun of the Bible. They could say it's not important. They'll put the focus of ministry on something other than Christ and the gospel. 
They will bow down to the political and social pressure of the age and you will hear it in their teaching. It will come out in the pulpit. They will deny the existence of hell. They'll teach that your salvation depends primarily or partially on your own good works. They will stay away from any sharp edges. You, you won't hear black hat shepherds uh, dealing with the hard sayings of Christ. You, you won't hear the black hat shepherds with any kind of radical call to discipleship. They won't be challenging you to deny yourself. Black hat shepherds will be more passionate about making a name for themselves rather than exalting the name of Christ. But above all, black hat shepherds will not preach true doctrine. They will preach falsehood. They will teach falsehood. They will teach what contradicts the word of God. That is how you can tell you've got a bad guy. That is how you can tell they're wearing a black hat. If they don't have it on their head, it's in their closet at home. If they're preaching something other than the truth of Christ. So to the sheep, that means us, we not only have to look out for the wolves, we not only have to look out for the cults and the false teaching and the, or the, or the uh, uh, false religions and the spiritual New Age stuff. Yes, we get that. We also have to watch out for the shepherds. Some of them are wearing a black hat. And it takes discernment. Jesus keeps coming back to his voice. And he insists that his sheep will know and listen to his voice. Now there are some strong implications in this teaching. First of all, if you are truly one of Jesus' disciples, you will not be sitting under a black hat bed, bed shepherd because you will have already left. Genuine believers do not need to be told to flee from a bad shepherd. Jesus says believers will flee from the stranger's voice. They will not, they'll get spooked by it. They'll take off. They won't sit under someone who's preaching contrary to the Bible. They won't put up with it. But the other implication is this. If someone is sitting under false teaching, teaching that contradicts scripture and the truth, then they're probably thinking it's okay. They're probably thinking, oh, this is nice. This is pleasant. Can't wait to go to church on Sunday and hear the fine message. There's nothing wrong with it. And they'll think that their church and their shepherd are, are both great. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, then you can continue to sit under a bad shepherd. Because the Spirit of Christ will not tolerate listening to and agreeing with falsehood. This all boils down to one question. Is the voice of Christ being proclaimed from the pulpit? That is how Jesus tells us we are to discern between black hat bad shepherds and white hat good shepherds. A good shepherd will point the sheep to THE, capital T-H-E, good shepherd. And he will point them to Christ and implore them to put their faith in him and to follow him. If anyone, Jesus says, enters by the door, meaning himself, they will be saved. Amen. Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture as Jesus addresses his enemies. And we know that it 
It was not written to us, but it was written for us. And we know that in this passage, you have told us that tragically there are, there are both good shepherds and bad shepherds. Christ is the ultimate good shepherd. We are to follow him, but there are many under-shepherds. We ask that you would continue to help us uh, discern the difference, and also for those of us who know family members or friends that are currently sitting under a, a bad shepherd, Father, we pray that you would show us how to gracefully show them from Scripture what a true shepherd should look like and, and our genuine concern for their soul. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.